had about eight members of the team that actually hadn't even sailed before. We had um, Olympic rowers and Olympic powerlifter, weightlifters. We even had somebody from a TV program called American Gladiators. Now, these women had never sailed. I'll never forget being interviewed on live TV and she is the one that told me that no, Dennis Connor isn't knocked out, he's still in. <laughs> Trying to work that out in my head, what the hell happened here? <laughs> you know, felt as if the management didn't have any confidence with us. As the days went on, I actually had forgotten about that fall. And it wasn't till the Olympics in Atlanta, I was in so much pain that I was having injections in the joint to, to try to get rid of the pain for a while. And, and normally those injections that you should have 24 hours of relief, I was only getting like 20 minutes. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 7 of Broadreach Radio, the Yachting New Zealand podcast. My name is Michael Brown and today we're joined on the show by Leslie Egnott. Now last week marked the 25th anniversary of Team New Zealand's victory at the 1995 America's Cup. But that win, only the second time the Cup was won by a team outside of the United States, was only one of a number of major storylines during, during the event. Leslie Egnott was skipper and helm of America Cubed, a woman's team who came agonizingly close to beating Dennis Connor and Stars and Stripes for the right to defend the cup against Team New Zealand. In many ways, that team became a symbol for feminism, not only in sailing, and they encountered so many obstacles along the way, whether it was gender stereotypes or some pretty unkind jibes from Dennis Connor himself. And in the middle of all that was Leslie Egnott. She tells her story from the 95 campaign, how she became involved, the challenge of putting a competitive team together, her interactions with Dennis Connor, the controversy of a man being substituted onto the boat from the semi-final series, and the backroom deal that saw Connor's team survive to make it to the final. Leslie also delves into her Olympic sailing and the injury that ended her career. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did putting it together. Well, joining us on the show today is Leslie Egnott, who won silver with Jan Sharon, the woman's 470 at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, and then went on to become the first woman to skip an America's Cup team at the 1995 America's Cup. Well, last week marked the 25th anniversary of Team New Zealand's historic win in that cup, when they defeated Dennis Connor's Stars and Stripes 5-0 in the final. Well, firstly, welcome to the show, Leslie. What sort of memories did last week's anniversary pieces prompt for you? Oh, thank you, Michael. Thanks for inviting me along tonight. Um, so many memories, um, seeing those images of the 95 Cup and Team New Zealand winning them. Um, but I guess the big, most vivid memories are the huge party that night when they won. <laughs> it was a, a big night. Well, just a shame it wasn't your team, I guess, because um, you were famously uh, the skipper and helm of an American syndicate, uh, which came agonizingly close, I guess, to winning the Defenders series. 
Did you feel it should have been America Cubed who were lining up against Team New Zealand in that final series? Uh, before the finals started, um, yes, um, really felt that uh, it should have been us and um, there instead of um, Dennis Connor's team. But when I saw the thrashing that Dennis Connor's team got, <laughs> I was quite glad that we weren't there because we would have been thrashed as well. Team New Zealand was so dominant, they're so strong that um, they, they would have um, beaten us as well just as easily, I'm sure. Would that have been even harder to take, given that you were a Kiwi? Um, I would have not liked to have been the team that lost the America's Cup to New Zealand, the American team that lost it. So Dennis Connor's team, uh, it's much better that he lost it rather than us because I think if it was our team, a lot of people would have said, oh, the women shouldn't have been there. Dennis Connor should have been there instead. He would have, he would have won it. So I think it just... Um, got rid of those sort of naysayers. Yeah, I guess, so you were happy to see Team New Zealand lift the cup, presumably, I guess, especially against Dennis Connor, who didn't always show you the greatest respect. Mm, we had lots of issues with him. He um, he liked to use intimidation tactics, I guess, as well as, you know, on the water tactics. He, he was one of those people, I guess, that liked to win any way he could. So he was quite mean to us and rude to us at times um yeah so our team were actually really thrilled when team new zealand won and, and we'd actually formed quite close friendships with them throughout the the regatta and i don't know if you can remember seeing images of our team out in our boat sailing around with red socks on in support of team new zealand rather than dennis connor's team oh brilliant what a nice touch do you remember that first time that you met Dennis? I, th I was reading something that I think it was a television interview and he uh, didn't acknowledge you when he joined you on the couch. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't remember that far back, but I just do remember him being pretty rude. Um, yeah, and maybe he was intimidated by us. Maybe he was so scared that we would beat him that he had to employ those sort of tactics. Because he also dubbed um, America Cube, um, among other things, as Team Lesbo, and others didn't really take the women's challenge all that seriously. Was it hard not to hit back at times? Yeah, I think um, any anything like that, it, it seemed to bring us closer together as a team. Um, whatever name call, calling there was was going on, or the yeah the looks like we, we'd go to to pre-start, and often they would be shouting out things across the water to us. Um, but it, it kind of brought us might might have made us a bit stronger and with our bonding as a team, um, just because he uh, was out to get us. Yeah, it wasn't the most pleasant. I'd like to explore that 95 America's Cup campaign in, in more detail later, but I think it's probably just worthwhile to delve a little into your background to get a sense, I guess, of how you became the first woman's helm of, of an American's Cup team in history. So you were born in the United States, but moved to New Zealand when you were 10 and, and grew up in Christchurch. So how did you get into sailing? Well, I was really lucky how I got into sailing because um, neither of my parents were sailors. Um, but I had a, a friend at the time, his name was Alistair Hines, and he had a P class. And we used to hang out together and he would uh, rig his boat up in his backyard for me and show me how everything worked. And um, he would actually let me sit in the boat 
and sail it in his backyard and he would sort of pull it in the direction that it would go with with using the tiller extension and the main sheet and um and then uh, after a wee while I managed to get out and take his boat out on the water um so I was really lucky to have that introduction to it um and of course uh, like most people I took to sailing straight away I just loved being on the water and wanted to be out every minute I can and I think that's because I've got sailing in my blood from my grandfather, who I happen to be named after. Uh, he, he, was, he went to sea when he was um, 16 years old and spent his life sailing around the world. So, um, yeah, I've definitely got salt in my blood from him. Well, you definitely had some success as a youngster, um, becoming the first female to win the Tauranga Cup for P-Class sailing in 1979 and then winning a national 470 title in 1988 with your sister Jenny. So why then did you team up with Jan Shearer in 1989? Um, Yeah, I think that at the time Jenny was still living in Christchurch, so she would have to come up to sail with me in Auckland, which was quite hard. She had her life down there. And what happened, we had the Olympics in 88 in Korea and Jenny and I sailing together just missed out on the trials and Jan Shearer and Fiona Galloway won them so they got to represent New Zealand in Pusan and in those days they took travelling reserves to um, to the Olympics so I was lucky enough to be, be able to go and, and watch the racing and part of that role as well was that I got to sail with both Jan and Fiona in case I got thrown in if, if either of them got sick or injured and uh, when I sailed with Jan it really seemed to click and um, it felt good in the boat together and uh, and so we decided to stick with it after after those Olympics and uh, that's when we got together and uh, went to Japan for those worlds where we got second. Yeah, yeah well you certainly got instant success actually and then um you went on to get silver at the Barcelona Olympics. So what was that experience like? Initially, like it, we're trying to treat it just like any other event and um, because it's what we'd trained for and prepared for. But I guess after it was all over is when I really appreciated it. I, like, to be honest, we probably were a bit gutted that we didn't win the gold <laughs> initially and... Um, it wasn't until we came home and, and reflected on it that we're actually pretty happy to have won the silver medal in the end. Um, but uh, when, when you set your sights on winning, it was a bit hard to take initially. But it was an amazing experience. All the athletes that are there from different sports and, and, uh, and you're all living in the same place. It, it, it was a very special experience to, um, to have, you know, the basketball players and athletes and... Um, gymnasts, all all in the same food hall together with you. It was pretty cool. Of course, it didn't start all that well because you were disqualified from that first race. Mm-hmm. So what effect did that have on you? Talk about putting the pressure on ourselves right from the get-go. <laughs> yes, um, and the trouble is uh, in that format of racing, there's only one drop race, and it was – so that first race meant that we couldn't afford to drop any others. And I uh, put the pressure on, but um, – yeah, we seem to, to perform well under pressure, I think, <laughs> and uh, managed to do all right. Because you went into that final race, I think the seventh race in the series, in fourth, um, and a win in that race sort of bumped you up to second. I guess what what worked well for you in that final? Well, we um, 
were, I guess, had the confidence to, the pin end was favoured, the pin end of the start line, and we picked it and we had the confidence to go down there and start on Port Tack and we actually managed to cross the whole fleet. And, um, it, yeah, so that gave us quite a jump and we managed to um, keep our lead the whole race. So that was pretty cool. And standing on the dais, what sort of emotions do you remember? Again, I guess we were quite... Um, what's the word, daunted with it all. But but again, we wanted that gold medal. <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, it's still, we were, we were pretty happy to be there, but also a little bit of um, if only in our heads as well, I think. Mm, well, that's fair enough. So where did you see your future in sailing, do you think, at this point? Um, I guess continuing with Olympic sailing for a, a bit longer. Um, in the 470 was and, and maybe getting into some keelboat racing as well um, just for, for a bit of variety because we'd done so much time in the 470 uh, it, we needed to do something different so we didn't go stale so we thought we might do some more keelboat sailing to mix it up a bit because in less than three years later you were you were at an America's Cup so how did that opportunity with sort of America Cubed come up? Oh it's Quite a, quite a long story. I'll try to keep it brief, but um, Dawn Riley, she actually sailed on the winning team in the 92 America's Cup with Bill Coke. She was in the, working in the pit area. And she happened to come to New Zealand to visit a friend here and ended up sailing with me in a woman's keelboat nationals. And she happened to mention the project that she was working on back in the States was putting together this all-woman's team. And I mentioned that I still had a, American passport and you know that I was actually born in America and um and she encouraged me to try out for the team um so yeah I I had to send an application form in first and I think over there's over 600 people applied for the team um initially and, and they cut the number back to about 120 who we all went and had tryouts um, that lasted a week long, where we actually went and sailed America's Cup boat. And they really put us through our limits, um, physically, mentally, and sailing-wise, because they wanted to see how how you coped, you know, being exhausted. And they're looking for team players. They didn't want people that, um, yeah, they just, they really pushed the team attitude, really. And, yeah, and so I was lucky that um, we came home after the tryouts and, uh, heard that uh, I'd, I'd made it into the team, which was pretty exciting, but also a bit daunting to think that I was going to be leaving the country for a whole year to go and sail with a team that wasn't really sure how it was all going to be at that stage, that it was really going to fall together or not. Um, but it was the best thing I ever did was actually grabbing the opportunity and doing it. Yeah. Had you heard of this um, potentially an all-female crew before meeting up with Dawn Riley? In New Zealand? I'd heard whispers of it, but didn't think much of it because um, you didn't, you know, in your wildest dreams, never thought that there would actually be one. <laughs> you know? um, it was pretty, pretty special. Did you, you know, as skipper, or when did that uh, honour get bestowed on you? Um, I guess once racing had started, um, like I'd been helming the boat for a while and, um, yeah, it was probably halfway through the regatta 
Okay. And did, did that mean that you had any say in the makeup of the boat? Um, I was involved with decision making. So like every day after sailing, we'd have meetings. And um, so I, I was involved with the management meetings as well as were others. Yeah. So going into the, the first race, did you think you had any chance, especially as you were um, starting off in a boat that competed in the 92 edition? Yes, look, we, we just had no idea, but we we really wanted to prove a point that women could do it because we'd had so many people saying that w- women wouldn't be able to sail America's Cup boat. They wouldn't be able to get it around the racetrack. And um, so we just wanted to prove all those people wrong. So I think we um, really put a lot into that first race and um, it was pretty pretty cool to, to cross that finish line ahead of him. Um, and in fact, my dear old granddad, he um, he was back in New Zealand and he was not very well. And I think he was actually in hospital and he watched that race and he said to my mum, well, that, I've seen everything now. I, I don't need to be here anymore because I've seen it all. And he was really happy. So that, that really was a quite special moment. Very much so. Well, him that you're referring to, of course, is Dennis Connor and Stars and Stripes. And you beat them by more than a minute in that first race just talk me through I guess what happened you know there was a bit of controversy afterwards and people pointing to a a, a penalty in the in the start box and and perhaps that you know that decided the um the course of that race yeah um there are so many races it's hard to remember exactly what happened but um I just think with uh with any match racing that penalties can go either way and uh and I guess it was uh, good that it went our way in that instant, yeah. So what do you think that did for the team? Uh, it was a huge confidence booster for the team to know that we, yes, we can get around the racetrack and we can beat Dennis Connor. Um, so, no, it, it was great for morale and, and great for our confidence. Do you think people took you more seriously after that as well? Definitely, yeah. They, they could see that we were there not just to compete, but we were there to try to win. Now, I just sort of delve into you a little bit here, but I read a piece about you and I quote, the smile is Sunday school sweet and the demure, almost deferential manner reminiscent of a bridesmaid at a country wedding. The piece also went on to say, and if Egnot were nailing you to the floor, she would probably still have a winning smile. What <laughs> What kind of person were you when you were on the helm of an America's Cup boat? Um, I guess incredibly focused and um, and just, yeah, uh, out to try to do the best we could. Um, try to keep positive and calm through racing um, and just incredibly determined, I guess. So was the bridesmaid at a country wedding an, an apt description or was it a little bit of a harder side to Leslie Egnott? Um, I think when when I'm in competition, there's a much more gritty side to me than uh, when I'm on land. The the two sides of the Egnott, I see. <laughs> yeah. I think you find that with a lot of sailors, though, Michael, that, that you're different when you're racing on the water to, to, to the person you are on the beach. Because, of course, that's only one piece um, that was written about you. Um, so how did you cope with that level of attention? I found it pretty hard, to be honest, Michael. Um, 
I'm quite a um, shy person. Don't like talking in front of groups, and that. So I found being thrown into that position pretty tough initially. Um, I don't know if I ever. Um, I was never comfortable with it, and in fact, I would try to encourage other people to go uh, to press conferences and stuff rather than me having to to do it. Um, yeah, so no, I did find that very hard. And people also talked about it being a feminist milestone. So did it feel like you were sort of representing women everywhere? Um, to me, I was doing my passion, doing what I love. And I think that the, the feminist side of it was a sideline, I guess, to it all. But it wasn't my, my, my thing was to be there doing it. And I was just so happy to be involved. And um, because sailing is my passion. And I guess any statements it made for women, that was an addition to that. But it wasn't my reason for doing it. Do you think then it had both positive and negative spin-off for the team? Um, we had a lot of support. I think it was mainly positive. Um, once we showed that we could sail around the racetrack and be competitive, we had support from all over the world. Hundreds of letters and messages would arrive each day from countries all over the world. It was amazing, and messages of support. Um and that that meant a lot, actually. That was um, that was really cool. So yeah, it was mainly positives. And what sort of interaction did you have with Team New Zealand at this stage? Um, very friendly relationship with them, actually. Um, um, yeah, in fact, I think a couple of girls started dating a couple of the sailors at that time and stuff. So we would hang out a little bit with them. Yeah. And did you ever sort of, I guess? you know, seek some counsel from anyone on in their team? Um, not during the racing, but I have to say that um, Russell Coots was amazing. Before I went to the tryouts in America, Team New Zealand were in Auckland training and I phoned up Russell and asked him if I could, I told him what I was doing and asked him if I could have a sail with them before I left so that I could get a feel of what an America's Cup boat was like to sail because I'd never been on one before. And, um, and he kindly let me come out one day when they were training and uh, let me have a steer and uh, chatted to me about it all. So that actually, I'm sure, gave me quite a jump when I went to the tryouts um, in the States, was having that opportunity. So I was really grateful for that. And what, what is the feeling of a, having an America's Cup sort of race car in, in your hands? Mm, it's quite quite different, but mind you, compared to what they have now, <laughs> um, they're totally different beasts. But um, it was a huge jump up to go from sailing a double-handed boat to suddenly having 16 sailors on the team and a, a team of 32 women. You know, I think we our team would have had over 100 people all up. Um, but no, it's really um, quite quite different sailing and everything the loads on it were huge um and trying to carry you know just to carry the mainsail it would take about 10 people just to lug the mainsail down to the boat each day you know it's um everything was big surely as skipper you'd sort of uh, assign roles to everybody else to do all of that heavy lifting wouldn't you <laughs> no that was part of the team thing is that everybody had their jobs and, and bits and pieces you couldn't skive off you had to do your role whether it's washing the boat down at the end of the day or 
helping to, to sand it or clean it, yeah. Now, you went into the semi-finals of the Defender Series, the, the Citizen Cup, with a 5-win, 16-loss record. How would you sort of, I guess, describe how things have been going through that first sector of the regatta? Um, I think that, yeah, we were just probably, to have so many losses, I think our, our experience was letting us down a bit. Um we had 16 sailors on, on, you know, on the race boat and probably none of those sailors apart from Dawn had ever sailed an America's Cup boat before. Um, and we had about eight members of the team that actually hadn't even sailed before. We had um, Olympic rowers and Olympic powerlifter, we had uh, weightlifters. We even had somebody from a TV program called American Gladiators. Now, these women had never sailed. We had 11 months together to train to try to get ready for the America's Cup. In fact, it might have been less preparation time than that. And that was the one thing we didn't just didn't have enough of was time. And I think that's reflected in, in why we had so many losses was just not having the experience in the boat. Um, compared to the other teams that, um, you know, the, most of them had been involved for a while with America's Cup sailing. How then did you approach the semis? Oh, we just tried to stay positive and um, and keep trying to learn and improve each day. Uh, yeah, so we just kept working. We never gave up. We just kept kept trying to figure things out and get better. So, um, David Dallenbaugh, Dallenbaugh, give off me. If- replaced JJ Isla as tactician and starting helmsman um, because um, JJ would um, typically steer the boat during the start and then hand over to you after the start, um, after you cross the line. Um, so, But David came in even though Bill Coke had said, always said that he'd never put a man on board. Um, one team member even said she felt like it was a bit of a kick in the guts and, and others outside the team felt a bit let down because you weren't a full women's team anymore. Mm, no, it's a, a very controversial decision and I know that Bill Coke, I saw in, in a documentary about about our team after the Cup that he did regret that decision. But, um, oh no, sorry, it wasn't that decision that he regretted. Sorry, it was something else that we'll talk about later. That he regretted, but no, this one. I guess our backs were against the wall, and we were, you know, we we'd lost a few races in a row, and we really had to make a change. And it just looked as if we needed that little bit more experience on the boat, and that's when the decision was made um, for Dave Dallenbar to come on board. Now, Dave, he has been had been involved with coaching us right from the beginning. So it wasn't like a stranger coming on board the boat and he has really nice nature about him. So he didn't take over. He just played a normal role as in any other tactician would do. Um, so he he just fit in well with the team. It wasn't, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but he, he's yeah, just got this lovely quiet nature about him. So he, he just fit in really well with it all and he did, add a, a depth of experience that we were lacking. Were you supportive of the move? Um, how would you say? I guess I kind of agreed that we needed to do something. Um, 
and so that yeah yeah when it all happened it seemed like the right thing to do at the time because uh it was it was going to make a big impact we felt and um yeah so and it did it did help and I know people felt let down because all of a sudden we went an all women's team but we were still a women's team we just had one one man on the boat um yeah just in, in one position but it was predominantly all women so did you feel like you were gathering some momentum then in those that semi-final series mm, yeah definitely yeah I guess it was a good confidence booster and when did you get your hands on the new boat because you'd been sailing the 92 version uh through that qualifying series yes I think it was might have been oh I'm trying to remember now just before the semi-finals, I think it may have been the quarterfinals that we got got the new boat, and unfortunately, it was um, very science based, and not not sailors didn't have too much input into the design. Not that we would really know much at that stage anyway, because as I say we were still learning about the America's Cup boats. But um, it was an incredibly difficult boat to steer. It had a really long rudder on it, and the load would it would load up really heavy and then as you went through a wave and then it would unload so you, it's weight on and weight off the whole time trying to steer it it uh, it wasn't good but you still made the final and you thought as most people did that it would be a two boat race but history will tell us that it was a three boat series what happened there what happened it was actually in the semi-finals and it was a, a do or die race with us and Dennis Connor's team and unbeknown to us sailors, the night before, our team management had been chatting with Dennis Connor's team management. Uh, and neither of them wanted to lose because it's 50-50 core. Who's going to win the race? And so I guess that our management didn't trust that we would go out and win the race the next day. So... The morning of that race, apparently they, they made a final agreement and a decision that it, it didn't matter who won that race. It would be a three-way final instead. But we went into that race thinking that if we won, we made it through to the finals. And if we lost, we were knocked out of the America's Cup. Just do a die race. And we won the race. And you can imagine how happy we were and so, so excited. And I'll never forget being interviewed on live TV, TV New Zealand with Jane Dent. And she is the one that told me that, no, Dennis Connor isn't knocked out. He's still in. And uh, I'll never forget <laughs> trying to work that out in my head. What the hell happened here? <laughs> you know, uh, so it, 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 I have to say for the team, it, it actually... Show, show, it felt as if the, the management didn't have any confidence in, with us and us that they did that. It was sort of quite, a, quite a knock to us for our morale to have that happen. Do you remember how you answered that question Jane Dent put to you? Mm, something like, oh, that's very interesting. And like, <laughs> it's my the cogs in my brain is spinning around and around thinking, what the hell is going on? You know, but, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I could say. Yeah. And what did you do straight after that interview? 
oh, I've just heard from the coaches what had happened and um, tried to digest it all really and what it meant. Yeah. And is, is that the thing that Bill Coke regrets that you were referring to earlier? Yes, yes he, he, he does in the documentary say that he regrets having made that decision. Um, but uh, anyway, it was done and, uh, yeah, it's uh, in the books now. Yeah, and then you had another uh, big race, I guess, that final one in the final against Dennis Connor and, and Stars and Stripes. And I think you had quite a handy lead. It might even have been around about four minutes. Just, I guess, maybe just before we get into what happened in that, that final stages, talk me through the early stages of that race. How did you get out to such a big lead? Well, I guess um, the wind was really shifty and fickle and we managed to, um, to get a good start and just get into the pressure and, uh, and managed to keep extending our lead. You know how, um, how it can be sometimes where, and they sort of, I guess, wallowed in, in the odd hole. And, um, so it was one of those sort of really tricky days, the conditions, and, and that's how, you know, what happened to us in the end, we got stuck in no wind and couldn't move and they were so far behind got pressure behind us and managed to just carry that pressure down and overtake us. Um, yeah, so it was just really an act of nature, <laughs> one of those freak things about sailing that we've all been through, I think. What was that experience like, though, to see him and, and Stars and Stripes overtake you in, in such a high-stakes race? Mm. It was gut-wrenching. Because whoever won that race went through to sail against Team New Zealand and um, absolutely gut-wrenching. Everybody was uh, devastated on the boat and the, the, the team. Um, all of the hard work and effort we'd put in to preparing and to have lost it in that sort of fashion was really hard to take. Do you still think about that race often? I do actually, and I, and I, I stay in touch with some of the girls, and we all still talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to forget, that's for sure. Would, yeah, is there anything that you would do differently if you had your time again? Probably not get such a big lead, because when you when you have such a big lead, it's hard to cover, you know, because it's easy for the boat behind to get when when they have wind and you don't to get on the other side of the course, and, and you're stuck and no one not moving. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just maybe try to to stay a bit closer to him, but uh, yeah, just never would have thought that that would happen. But um, in a way, it was the best thing that happened because I do think it was good that Dennis Connors and his team went up against Team New Zealand and and lost the cup rather than us. I guess you probably didn't think about that at the time. So, what was it like on board afterwards as you were making your way back to dock? Oh, she's pretty quiet. There's a lot of tears, a lot of hugs. Um, and when we got back to the dock, it was really nice. The Team New Zealand boys sent across a, a, some cold beer to us to try to cheer us up and their best wishes. Um, so it was nice to have their support um, there. Um, yeah, so it was pretty tough. It wouldn't be the America's Cup, though, without a few conspiracy theories. Uh, and you may have heard of some of those, like you were paid off to lose. How did you react to some of those suggestions? Oh, I just laughed those off because it's totally so untrue. Yeah, it's uh, 
yeah yeah very very untrue things <laughs> yeah unfortunately it's a bit of the america's cup isn't it there's lots of rumors and innuendos that get thrown around and especially when you've got a dennis connor involved and of course he approached um your team asking if he could use your boat in the final against team new zealand um how did you react when you heard that um well, my reaction and the rest of the sailors was uh, when we heard that, that he'd asked, we were horrified and thought there's no way in hell we would like him to use our boat. But it turned out the management felt the same way and they wouldn't let him use it. Um, and he used um, Young America's boat instead that had the lovely mermaid painted down the side. I don't know if you remember that one. It was beautiful. Do you think he might have had a, um, or did you think he would have a chance against Team New Zealand if he'd taken your boat? No, it was too hard to sail. He, it, it would, it needed some big modifications to it. Um, no, he, he and he wouldn't have had time to do that. He, he pretty much had to jump straight in with minimal training and try to come to grips with a, a different boat, different beast. Unfortunately, one of the offshoots of that America's Cup campaign was a chronic injury for you um shoulder neck injury what happened um, and what impact did that have on you on that 95 campaign yeah in um one of the pre-starts i fell over with my arm locked straight and i ended up i shattered the tip of my collarbone and the joint that it sits in and i didn't do anything about it because i, I just wanted to keep on racing and so the trouble was it, it created a lot more pain not just in that area, but through my neck and through my arm uh, because I didn't rest it, I guess, and didn't get it tended to. And um, as days went on, I actually had forgotten about that fall. And it wasn't till the Olympics in Atlanta. I was in so much pain that I was having injections in the joint to, um, to try to get rid of the pain for a while and, and normally those injections that you should have 24 hours of relief I was only getting like 20 minutes and so that was a sign that that that, that was the problem area and that the joint was actually shattered and the um the vaccine was actually leaking from the joint so that's why it wasn't giving me the pain relief um so that actually pretty much ended my sailing career that injury because it took years and years and years to get rid of the pain because it, I'd had such a pain syndrome from it and been putting up with it for too long. So, um, yeah, it, uh, it was a shame, but, but um, yeah, I've got plenty of good good things to look back on. Yeah, well, you, meant, uh, you went to a second Olympics, as you mentioned, in 96 um, with Jan again. How difficult was it jumping back into a 470 after having a, a you know an America's Cup boat at your hands I think it, it, it was quite fun and it would have been fine Michael for, to, to do that and um, because we'd done so many years of sailing the class but it was my injury that let me down like I I couldn't really hold the main sheet pump it and steering it was a real issue um, trying to to get on the water every day but um I was just so determined that I wanted to, to compete at those Olympics and do well again that I didn't let it stop me. And uh, it's probably it, it, it was a shame in the way that I yeah, that I didn't stop because it, then I could have got it seen too sooner and I guess not suffered the effects for so much longer afterwards. But um, 
it, it pretty much ruined my experience of those Olympics. Yeah, I think what you finished 16th, um, I think how hard I guess then, you know, was that to take after having been at the pointy end of the fleet for quite some years? Oh, I just felt so sorry for, for Jan because I, um, because I was in so much pain, I can't describe to you the amount of pain that I was in. You can't eat or sleep, um, sleep at night. Um, and I just wasn't up to par to try to sail. And I, I felt like I was letting her down. I felt like I was letting sponsors down and got in New Zealand. It wasn't a good feeling. And I guess, I, you know, in hindsight, I shouldn't have been there. What's your involvement in sailing now? Um, um, we go cruising a bit. Uh, we've got an Elliott 12 meter, and also we've been out. We go out and race the VX1s every now and then, which is a lot of fun. And um, yeah, enjoy watching my son sailing and uh, my daughter rowing. Yeah, so still active, actively watching the water anyway. Do the competitive juices still run when you get on racing again? <laughs> I guess you can't get rid of them, can you? Yeah, just the body reacts a bit slower, that's all. Yeah, well, I guess um, your son's now making a bit of a name for himself in the, the sailing world, Nicky Not Johnson. Number two, I think, was the latest rankings in the world match race, uh, world match racing rankings. Um, how's it been watching hit the evolution of his career? Oh, it's really exciting. Um, we're loving following Nick with his sailing and... Uh, He's uh, always been passionate about the sport and um, and it's just so great to see that he's um, starting to, to carve out his own career path in, in, in the sport of sailing. And you've also worked at Yachting New Zealand uh, and you're on the Yachting New Zealand Olympic Committee. I guess you just find yourself involved in many aspects of the sport. Yes, well, I, uh, before that, I, I used to do heaps of coaching for years and years, and I loved the coaching, um, but the trouble was it involved too much overseas travel, so that's when I got into the administration and working at Yachting New Zealand and helping with the Olympic Olympic team and the management side, and that was really fun. And uh, and now, having stepped back from that, it's still nice to be involved by being on the Olympic Committee and uh, being one of the selectors as well. It's nice to stay in touch. And you also tried uh, to make the team for the 2000 America's Cup. What um, what happened there? Um, so I was on a team called America True um, when, when it was in Auckland. And that, that was um, really cool to be a part of that. And, and what that was was a, a nice extension of, with our all-women's team, the idea was that we would get sailors good enough from sailing that to get the experience that we could blend into race with men and men's teams. And so that's what America True was about. It was a mixed team. And uh, and it was just a, a really great progression to, to the women's team. So, yeah, I, I was on that team um, when it was here. I was steering the um, spare boat, so in all this test, boat testing and stuff that we would do, um, I was helming the spare one, and I did a race as well. The, the very last race, actually, I did. Yeah. Was it quite a quite a different um, experience, though, from the '95? Um, yeah, I guess it was. It was different. Yeah, I guess not. Um, 
because it wasn't the first first time yes it was quite different and uh, with the mixed team yeah yeah having um not all women around and working with the men yeah we don't see a lot of females involved, um, particularly in the sailing side of the America's Cup. What, what do you think needs to be done or could be done to uh, have more female involvement? Well, I think um, the Volvo uh, uh, around the world race people are on the right track where they're um, setting requirements for, for, for having a certain number of women on the boat. And I think with the America's Cup, that that might be the way to go as well because the trouble is it's very difficult for women to get the experience outright to, to, to get good enough to compete with the guy in that same position. Um, and, and the level of fitness that's required and the strength, it will always be really tough. Um, unless you're the skipper or the helmsman, um, I don't think there's quite as much fitness required there compared to the other other roles so um i think that that might have to be the way to go if we want to get see more women in, in the current way the america's cup has sailed is there a part of you that um wouldn't mind taking the helm of the current team new zealand boat that's whizzing around uh auckland harbour oh leah i'd love just to have have a, a little experience in it but uh boy i think it would be quite a frightening boat to sail initially it'd be pretty scary Mm. Well, that probably um, is a nice segue um, into uh, the question that I ask everyone who comes on Broadreach Radio and their worst wipeout ever. So, Leslie Egnott, what is your worst wipeout ever? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I've probably got, instead of one worst wipeout, I've probably just got, it feels like hundreds in the P class on one particular day when I was learning to sail the P on the estuary and it was really windy and I had no idea and I don't know how many times I cartwheeled over and over and over again yeah <laughs> and that I have that that's most vivid in my memory for capsizes is just doing hundreds in one day but you still kept coming back for more huh didn't put you off no not at all it was a great challenge try to figure out how to sail it downwind well, and it uh, led you on to a fairly illustrious sailing career, of course. So, um, look, thank you very much, Leslie. It's been fascinating to to dive back into the 95 campaign and, and other aspects of your career. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, oh, thanks, Michael. Appreciate your time. Yep, thank you very much. Well, that's it for another episode of Broadreach Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, if you'd like to share the story of your worst wipeout ever, then email michaelb at yachtingnz.org.nz. In the meantime, have a good week, and we'll be back with another show next Friday. Take care.